Hey everyone, John here. Just a quick word of warning. Uh, we will be spoiling this film in its entirety, so if you have not seen this film and you don't want it spoiled for you, uh, just hit pause real quick and go and watch the movie and then come back and enjoy the show. Jamie! You don't know the first thing about being someone's friend. I don't want to just be your friend. You don't know what you want. Neither do you. You know the real reason why you're scared? It's because you want to be with me too. another episode of surviving chick flicks i'm john i'm sammy and i'm joseph and this week our old nemesis returns <laughs> sammy we missed you last <laughs> week <laughs> i was gonna say don't, don't you mean nicholas i mean don't you mean your nemesis i don't know if joseph has the same beef with nicholas sparks that you do just with that one movie that i know of uh, the 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 dead horse. Yes, but yes, our old nemesis Nicholas Sparks returns to you know do his emotional torture <laughs> to us uh, with the 2002 romantic drama A Walk to Remember, and there was much rejoicing. I feel like trying to sound less enthusiastic, John. <laughs> <laughs> this is our fourth Nicholas Sparks movie it's our third is it yeah huh is this one (laughs) (laughs) we've done this safe haven in the choice (laughs) oh yeah he's had so many bad dreams about nicholas sparks (laughs) i wake up with sunsets and piers and gazebos everywhere (laughs) all right so why don't we play the uh trailer for this and then we'll get into uh whatever argument Sammy and I are about to get into. One, two, three! Landon Carter was heading nowhere fast. What, are you going to expel me? It's time for you to start spending time with other kinds of people. Don't blow it, Landon. Jamie Sullivan. Wore that dress in the fourth grade. Nice sweater. Thank you. Knew exactly who she was. (laughs) So what's your deal? You don't care what people think about you? No. Now, two people who had nothing in common. I need help with my work. Landon Carter's asking me for help? Please. Okay. Have everything to learn from each other. Landon Carter's coming here. Dad, I'm not a child. Well, it's him I don't trust, not you. Landon, where have you been? Nowhere, man. What's with you, man? It's like you don't even have time for your real friends anymore. Hey, Carter. So I'll see you after school. I'm in your dreams. Welcome to the planet. This girl's changed you and you don't even know it, man. Come on, Jamie. Open the door, please. Listen, Jamie, I was hoping we could... We could be secret friends. Exactly. It's like you're reading my mind. Great. Um, maybe you could read mine. Dare you. Jamie, I miss spending time with you. Prove it. This is about me, okay? This is not you. We are through. 
Maybe you're just too scared that someone might actually want to be with you. And why would that scare me? Because you want to be with me, too. You know, I, I was getting along with everything fine, and then you happened. I'm not going anywhere. Please tell Jamie that. She makes me want to be different. Better. I might kiss you. I might be bad at it. It's not possible. All right, A Walk to Remember, starring Mandy Moore, Shane West, Peter Coyote, Daryl Hannah, Lauren German, Clayne Crawford, Al Thompson, and Paz de la Huerta, based on the novel by Nicholas Sparks, written by Karen Jansen, and directed by Adam Shankman. And this is our third Adam Shankman film, sort of. This is the first one where he's been the director, but he was the choreographer for Boogie Nights, and he was also, uh, he also did the choreography and played the Ghostface Killer uh, on stage in Scream 2. Oh, okay. Yeah. Who knew? Yeah. Uh, me. I knew. Because <laughs> I looked this up. <laughs> so, this is uh, clearly one of Sammy's picks. Or is it? Did I did I just secretly sneak this in? And am I a closet Nicholas Sparks fan? No, we're gonna find out. No, you're not. But no. <laughs> I, have, no. I will make it my personal mission to convert you. Oh, Jesus! If I have to um, use Miley Cyrus to do it, I will. I mean, I am prepared to defend <laughs> Miley. I don't know if I can defend Miley the actress because I've never seen her act ever. Ever. You mean to tell me you never watched Hannah Montana? No, I was way too old for that show whenever it was on. <laughs> yeah, so was I. I was not the target audience. Mm, I'm sorry. Are you ever really too old for Hannah Montana? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I I watched re, I recently watched a clip of uh, whatever that Ariana Grande Nickelodeon sitcom was because someone used it as a TikTok uh, audio clip and I was just like I why, I am so glad I was too old for this show because I would have fucking lost my mind. <laughs> so, but Joseph, you have seen the two Nicholas Sparks movies apparently that we've only. Only other, two others that we've apparently covered. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Okay. Seen, yeah. Because uh, I, I saw the Safe Haven without the podcast. Uh, On purpose? I, well, I was married at the time. I repeat and, my question. <laughs> uh, you have to do things when you're married to make your partner happy sometimes. Well, not everybody does it, but it's, it's nice to. <laughs> And I've watched The Notebook. And I think there was another one. I just can't remember what it is. <laughs> the, one, the one with the thing I'm not allowed to talk about anymore. <laughs> that would be correct, sir. 
All right. So uh, if you didn't listen to the beginning of the episode, we did a little thing like, hey, we're going to spoil the movie. Well, this is the part where we spoil the movie. Even though if you probably saw a trailer, you got a 95% chance of getting this right. So... (laughs) So, Landon Carter, played by Shane West, is part of the popular high school crowd, but he is also wasting his potential. After a prank at school goes wrong and sends a classmate to the hospital, Landon is assigned janitorial duties by his principal, along with helping out with Saturday tutoring and to be part of the drama department spring show. What a punishment. His punishment puts him also working alongside Preacher's daughter, Jamie, played by Mandy Moore, who is part of the Sunday, part of the Saturday tutoring and drama department because she actually wants to be there. Jamie is not part of the popular crowd at all and is mocked for the way she dresses, but unlike Landon, Jamie doesn't give a shit what people think. When Landon is cast as the male lead in the spring performance, and oh, we're going to be talking about that, he puts almost no effort into his role, and Jamie offers to help him, but he's too afraid to be seen with her, thinking, worried about what his friends might think. So Jamie ends up distancing herself from him altogether. On the night of the play, Jamie wows the audience and Landon in the process. And at the end of the show, Landon kisses her on stage, shocking the hell out of his ex-girlfriend, Belinda, played by Lauren German. After the show, Landon tries to be friends with Jamie, but she avoids him. Landon's ex-girlfriend, uh, Belinda, um, angered by the kiss, photoshops vulgar photos of Jamie and passes them around the school. We'll also be talking about that. Jamie is hurt, and Landon decides to defend her and chooses her over his friends. The pair begin to fall for each other, and her father, played by Peter Coyote, refuses to let Landon date her until he calls him out on for not having any faith in him, even though he preaches it every Sunday. The pair fall in love, and eventually Jamie tells her tells him her secret she's dying of leukemia because it's a nicholas sparks book as she gets worse landon asks his estranged father for help but before the pair can have a rational conversation landon drives away in anger during her hospitalization landon remains by her side until she's allowed to go home for private care which is paid for by landon's father landon works to build a telescope for jamie so she can watch a comet pass by and on the night of the comet, Landon proposes to Jamie. They're still in high school. The pair get married in the church her parents got married in, and the couple enjoys their last summer as husband and wife. Years pass as Landon returns to visit Jamie's father to tell him he's been accepted into medical school. In, accepted into medical school, Landon is sad that Jamie never got to witness a miracle, and Jamie's father brings the audience back to tears one more time by telling him he was the miracle all along. That's the movie in a nutshell. You know, she was dying of cancer, and 18-year-olds get married all the time. At least this time it was for a good reason. I know. that That's the least of all the things uh, that I, I call into question uh, in this movie. I think that's the least, you know, troublesome one on the list. Okay, I have an idea, and okay. I want to know what you two think about it. What if we did this episode a little bit differently, and we start by, do you want to throw out 
what you consider to be the glaring issues with this film. And I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. Okay. Uh, my first issue, it exists. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I honestly, okay, first of all, before we get into this, I want to defend the joke. I'm, oh, actually, we need to do the basic, the how we normally do this. So, Sammy, Joseph, when was the first time you saw this movie? Assuming anyone remembers. <laughs> Not a clue. <laughs> um, so, it was 2002. So, I'd have been like 11 years old. Um, so, I was in barely middle school when it came out. I think... I saw this movie probably prior to high school. I don't know if I saw it in theaters, but there's a good chance I did. And if not, I I think I just saw it in middle school. Okay. Joseph? Let's see. I first watched it all the way back on Sunday. Oh, okay. So so we both watched this movie for the first time on the same day. This was the exact first time I've ever seen it. I've seen the cover many times. Mm-hmm. I worked at the video store. I, I, saw it I think time. I just never watched it. Yeah, I think um, I, I and I could be wrong, and this would involve some phone calls I don't want to make. Uh, but I think at least fifty percent of my ex girlfriends uh, threatened to or wanted to make me watch this movie at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think the better question would have been. How many times have I seen it? And, um, yeah, I don't know that there's a number. There is a number. It's just you you <laughs> ran out of magic beans to count. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, this movie reeks of 2002, by the way. Uh, and the way this film opened... I want to defend my joke I made about how it looks like a 90s horror movie for the first 10 minutes of the movie because had they made one slightly creative choice, uh, this could have been uh, a long-lost sequel to I I Know What You Did Last Summer (laughs) because the way it's shot, the way it opens up with uh, a good, um, you know, mid-90s alternative rock song and has a bunch of people that went on to do a lot of... uh, TV shows in which they uh, all, all they were forced to do is look pretty. Uh, this, this this could have been a slasher movie. It started you know, off I'm like a gonna, slasher. I'm not going to argue with you. It definitely could have been, but the differences that made it a better movie is I was going to say no one died, but that's also not true. <laughs> yeah, no, this movie has a body count. <laughs> But less people died, One. and um, none of them were Ryan Phillippe, so this gets a win. <laughs> because... <laughs> so, you were okay with the main character dying as long as it wasn't Ryan Phillippe? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Alright. But, seriously, going through this cast, like, Mandy Moore started off as a teen pop star, and this kind of made her a teen actress idol kind of thing. Because she was like 16 or 17 whenever she was making this movie. Um, 
Shane West, who's older than me, went on to be in ER. Uh, Lauren German, she was in uh, Hostel 2. She's the one that uh, castrated Roger Bart at the end. Um, Clayne Crawford went on to be in Lethal Weapon, the series. Uh, Paz de la Huerta starred in one of my uh, infamous uh, 10 worst movies of all time. Uh, and Al Thompson was in this movie. So it was... I mean, it, this was like, you know, Dawson, you know, Dawson's gazebo kind of casting. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to go through the plot of the movie and where we have issues and you want to defend them. Yes. This is what you want. This is what you want to do. I thought this was as good a place as any to start because I just... I was going to say I have a feeling this would be an uphill battle, but not so much that because I don't necessarily think you didn't survive the film, but um, I do feel like I'm going to have to defend myself. So I thought I might as well just get it out of the way. (laughs) Spoken like a lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) Counselor, please defend um, a high school principal who, while he can't prove uh, his students were drinking, not was this first of all was it even on school property? Uh, not the last part of it, but he said that uh, a student set claimed that they were drinking on school property, but the actual accident didn't occur there. They drove there after drinking. Uh, okay, so it's really hearsay. Uh, this is true. Okay. But so, even though it was a prank gone wrong, which it didn't, may or may not have involved drinking on school property, which is a suspendable offense, what high school principal in this country forces uh, the student to do janitorial duties, as well as giving them two extracurricular activities that look good on college transcripts? One in the early 2000s who didn't necessarily have any proof other than the victim of the accident who was refusing to talk that the kids did much of anything wrong, especially since there wasn't even enough for any of the kids to get arrested. And he took an opportunity to force a kid who was in a bad situation to do things that would put him in a better one. So he forced him to do the one thing that Landon wouldn't want to do, which I think is a pretty fair punishment. Uh, Landon didn't want to do anything in this movie, first of all, for at least for the first exactly 45 minutes. He didn't want to do anything. All right. Number two, and this is kind of an extension of number one. He's given the lead in the school's drama performance without ever having done any sort of dramatic performance whatsoever, without an audition, what world does this happen in? A school uh, without a robot. <laughs> no, go ahead, Joseph. A Nicholas Sparks world. That's where it happens. A school you, without you like a robust drama program? <laughs> 
Okay, one of the students wrote the damn musical that they that's performed. Ex- that's exactly my point. That's a pretty point. robust. No, no, my point is one of the students wrote the thing, wrote the um, play and slash musical that they performed, which tells you the kind of money they have to push into their theater program. And really, they couldn't afford guys and dolls. And think about it; it also was not. Uh, clearly not the cool thing to do so a lot of the students were not involved and here comes along this perfect like leading man and here's an opportunity to make him do more than just backstage work especially when he's on crutches and force him out of his comfort zone that's a hell of a gamble (laughs) but it paid off I mean it did, but at the same time, that's incredibly unfair to all the people that were in the drama program that wanted to be there. At least one of them probably wanted to be the lead of that show. I'm going. I'm going to go out on a limb and say possibly the writer of the of the of the play. Yeah, but you know he's not a a hot actor, so it doesn't matter. And also, to be fair, <laughs> um, high school theater does not generally exist in the realm of fair uh so yeah 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 but i'm still going to say that the drama teacher should have given the lead to a kid in the drama department first and then in some sort of i don't know montage discovered that this kid has hidden talents something happened to the drama student and then he earns the lead. You don't just randomly cast unproven talent in the lead of your show. I mean, I know it's high school drama, but still, well, you hey, have to pretend hey, to give a shit. Hey, Uwe Ball would have done that, so I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, and to be fair, the teacher might not have had much of a choice in in this. It's possible the principal... Knowing who Landon was and what he would attempt to do, told her that he had to have more than just a small role in the production. And so she chose to, you know, utilize them to the fullest. And you have to keep in mind, too, this is a small town. These, these teachers know him. And they know, they have a general sense of what he's capable of. And sometimes just because they have an audition for you doesn't mean that you can't recognize their potential. So that's also a possibility. And it, while it's a gamble, as he had sucked and stopped trying, she could have just recast it. I guess you reached those straws. <laughs> okay. Next. Okay. <laughs> If these are the popular kids, are they really that popular? They seem to only hang out with each other, and also, they're all dicks. Oh, that's not what popular kids to me, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, <laughs> yeah, they have a small group, but... One of whom is actually pretty mentally uh, just short of physically abusive to his girlfriend. Very true. But 
you can tell that they have more friends when they where everybody was located and sitting in the lunchroom. There's a larger group of people there, but they have a core group. Also, I feel that you can say this about pretty much any other similar movie. Mean Girls, even Scream, um, pretty much any movie that carries this kind of high school tropes always focus around a small group of popular kids where there's really not necessarily a, a whole lot of indication that, you know, everybody knows them apart from their small group so i this isn't this isn't that much different yeah you just uh-huh. get a point okay next point um first of all whenever they pass around the um obscene photos of that they photoshopped of uh jamie the only one that's that was edited to um, have like any kind of uh, you know clothing on was the one that was up front with the camera. But if you apparently look at all of the ones on the table, they were all nude, and they had to edit one to keep the PG rating. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, I didn't. That, that was like one of the four things I learned from the commentary. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know that either. That is... Yeah. So, which begs the question, where are the teachers? Because how did the, how did those photos get that widely distributed with all the kids seeing them and no one get in trouble for it and or be seen by any member of fa- faculty? Um, depends on the school. <laughs> I was going to say, there, there are definitely ways they could have hidden it. Once again, this was the early 2000s. It was a simpler time Um, where teachers cared less about, you know, child pornography and things of that nature. Um, (laughs) Because the real question that you're missing is how did none of them get arrested for what if she really is nude for what is clearly child pornography? Um, Since she was under the age of 18. But really, the thing is, well, they probably did get in trouble. They just didn't show it. I feel like it would have been mentioned. Um, also, uh, my my last major thing, um, and this got this is actually uh, some of my points. Uh, I found a fantastic article on Seventeen dot com that uh, this uh, writer and um, <laughs> I'll post a uh, link to it in the uh, show notes, but the writer hadn't seen the movie in about 10 years. And it was 17 thoughts I had while watching a walk to remember for the first time in 10 years by Noelle DeVoe. She wrote this back in 2016. <laughs> and at the, uh, and she asked a big question that I think I even asked on Sunday. Um, school? Question mark? Did did we just forget about school? <laughs> it because it just seems like once Jamie was dying, no one went to school and and or cared. Well, the, I mean, that's, oh, that's God, kind of the norm in these type of movies. That's that's the norm in these type of movies. Like, well, nobody seen school becomes an afterthought until whenever the main plot kicks in and. And and certain parents tend to forget about their child and not really care where they're at or 
if they're alive yeah, well, or, you know, if they're into trouble or anything like that. So that, that that's kind of the par for the course for these type of movies, though. Okay. <laughs> I just I just want to point out um, one of the worst movies ever made. It's a movie called Jack. It was directed by the same man that made The Godfather and Godfather 2. I also like pointing that fact out. And in that movie, it ended with Robin Williams in old man makeup graduating high school. So even in that piece of shit, they realized that graduation is kind of important. If that was her last year in high school, why wouldn't they also make her graduating an important thing? That's another walk to remember. Mm. <laughs> um, honestly, you know what I think it is? It's a couple of things. With movies like this, you know they're on a time frame, right? Like, this movie was just barely over an hour and a half. So something's got to give in the in the realm of storytelling. Semi-important details sometimes become less important. It's obvious that they're probably still going to school. They just stopped showing the time that they spent at school. It all um, occurred... Jamie- like, you know, Jamie very much stopped going to school because well I know when she, she got she was sick but and also under her condition graduating I mean it was important but I think especially given given her diagnosis it probably became somewhat less important I think it's clear that they graduate it's clear they graduated he went off to college he went off to medical school um, they graduated probably before they got married it's just something that. Mm-hmm. It was a decision maker decision by the movie makers that this isn't this is something we're going to allow the audience to and to that happened because we have other things we want to show and a limited space in which to do so. One thing I know they eliminated was just how sick Jamie really was, because I think in the book, have you read the book? I actually have not read the book. Okay. I believe in the book, she didn't walk down the aisle. It was, she was in a wheelchair. Like, they completely downplayed how sick she was um, in the filming of the movie. So, and I, that's not really a criticism. That is just me pointing out things the director said. I, I get that because, um, not to make light of the situation, but that would be kind of a fucking bummer just to see the bride being pushed down a wheelchair. Yeah. Well, and also yeah. everybody goes through their cycles with an illness like cancer dif- differently, and sometimes they have good days, the, you know? Yeah, this is true. But also that was something that Shankman did point out that they absolutely did in the filming for that reason. Well, I can see that. Yeah. Especially in the early 2000s. Yeah. So, so the, the adults in this movie are kind of interesting because we have really two that we focus on. Um, Landon's mother and Jamie's father. And we spend more time with uh, Jamie's father who... Um, took a character that really actually both Mandy Moore's character and Peter Coyote's character really could have been turned into um, kind of one dimensional characters. I was going to go with horrific stereotypes, but you, you, 
basically the same thing because they are yeah. both religious. And this is uh, not a Pure Flix movie. This is a Warner Brothers movie. So they could have really made them the stereotypical overbearing Christian stereotype. And they didn't. I mean, Peter Coyote is a prote- overprotective father. But it's... And at first you think, oh, yeah, it's because he's the re- reverend and he doesn't, you know, he's very protective of his daughter. And then you find out there's a reason why he's that way. I appreciated that. Uh, one thing I didn't appreciate is how, uh, A, underused Daryl Hannah is and just how little she gave a shit in this movie. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's what I like, too. And also, I like Mandy Moore's character. She... She was one of those, you could tell she believed in her faith. Yeah. But it wasn't like she didn't, it wasn't, that wasn't her, just her character, though. Yeah. That was just part of her character. Yeah. So this is kind of the uh, opposite of uh, uh, the other Mandy Moore movie I've seen, uh, Saved. Both, Both movies in which she plays the Christian character, but this one, she's, Sweet and simple and down to earth, and in that one, she's just kind of a raging bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Then again, there are very few good characters in Saved, but that's by design. You know what I think it is with Landon's mom is I kind of think it's two things. I mean, clearly she's an overworked mother, and he's semi a lot to handle. Um, So I think at some point, she knew there was only so much restraining him she could do. And especially when he finally found someone who was, you know, helping him make good choices. I don't think she was going to get in the way of that. But mostly, I think that, um, I do think she was placed there as kind of this trope. It's kind of a contrast to the overprotectiveness of uh, Jamie's father. Which is, it's neat and I like it, but they went a little too far one direction. However, I think she trusted her son. And that was one of the yeah. things they were trying to get across. Yeah, I mean, because there is a moment, and it was a laugh-out-loud moment uh, whenever he came home, because there's kind of a subplot in this movie where she was looking for this kind of once-in-a-lifetime comet that was going to be passing by. And she started off using a telescope in the cemetery, because, you know, like you do, and at, you know, and after they were hanging out all night, wait, you know, looking at the stars through the telescope, he comes home and like his mom's awake and didn't realize he was just now getting home, and it was like the next morning. And it was just like, oh, I guess you know, I would have been worried had I known. Also, Daryl Hannah's wig in this movie is terrible. Oh my god! It is <laughs> yeah, it's, and they I had to do. Go ahead. I said I could not focus on anything else in this movie. That whenever she was no. like that was bad. <laughs> yeah, they did it because she underneath that thing on her head, she had pink hair because she was filming another movie at the same time. What was she filming at the same time? I didn't look. <laughs> I'll just be honest. I didn't bother to Google. Um, one thing, uh, this movie is kind of a miracle it got made because. Uh, Mandy Moore was a minor whenever they were making this film, so they only had a certain number of hours they could film with her during the process. And this movie still got made in like 39 days. Yeah, because she's in so, most of the frames of the movie. 
I, she and Shane West do share, you know, a good amount of screen time. I mean, it, it, even though it is almost Landon's story. Yeah. Because it, because it, you know, does begin and end with him. But, you know, it's his story, but she's the heart of it. That's very true. Yeah. But she is a very big pivotal part. So, like. Yeah. I mean, she's on the box of the DVD that I now own. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. Also, th- there are two versions of this movie, by the way. There is an edited version, and it's not the version we watched. They cleaned up this PG-rated uh, feel-good family movie t- to have a family film edition. So I guess all they did was just take out the word shit. Yeah, which was, there was a surprising, surprising amount of shit in this movie. Yeah, but that seems completely unnecessary. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I know they occasionally do that. Um, the, there was a PG-rated version of Saturday Night Fever. There was a, um, there, there was a family edit of Josie and the Pussycats. So it went, went from a PG-13 to a PG, but... I, to edit a PG to a PG is one of the more mind-boggling <laughs> experiences. Like, like we can't have the kids hear the word shit, but uh, let's just uh, dump leukemia and dying on them. <laughs> well, I mean, if you think about it, that's not uncommon. Look at all the Disney movies where the... Um... Main character either I either doesn't have one parent or like Bambi, his yeah. mom dies. <laughs> yeah, Disney hates the nuclear family structure. It really <laughs> does. <laughs> Walt Disney hated two things. <laughs> one of them is two parents. <laughs> Even Finding Nemo, he kills the mom in that one too. Clearly, Disney also hates mothers. Like no, no. <laughs> I'm saying Disney like, has some very deep-seated uh, mommy issues. <laughs> that was lumped. That was lumped into the the two parent structure because it's either one or none, never two. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're not going to so, discuss the other thing Walt Disney didn't like. Um, so moving oh, come forward. On. No, there's no way that's controversial. <laughs> no, not at all. No, I don't think it is. Yeah. So, uh, Clayne Crawford, who plays uh, Dean, who's uh, the biggest dick in this movie, and I mean that as a human, uh, he's kind of he's an abusive ass. And I, I seriously thought you had set me up to watch a second film in the course of this podcast, in the course of this year, in which a, f- a fight happened in the cemetery, and <laughs> I was very let down because it went, by that point. I had gone from wanting to see uh, Landon hit in the face with a shovel to um, Landon hitting Dean in the face with a shovel. Um, Clayne Crawford would go go on to play Martin Riggs in the uh, Lethal Weapon TV series, which um, he would also get fired for being a dick on set. But apparently Damon Wayans was also a dick on set, and it's kind of unclear who to root for in that particular uh, situation. Uh, but that show also was better than it had any right to be, and it was better than at least half of the Lethal Weapon sequels. Hmm. 
not as good as uh, Lethal Weapon 1 and 2, obviously. Yeah, you know, something about this film that I actually appreciated is it did kind of wrap up all these broken relationships when when they found out... I guess I should put it this way. You think that these people he's, he's friends with are not really his friends, given the type of people that they are, and I do think that there is... Mm-hmm. A really good reason to think that but mm-hmm. when it really mattered they sort of had Landon's back and it, and it only took his girlfriend dying uh, you know for that to happen exactly yeah. <clears throat> yeah oh wait in the clean version did they take out the part where he's uh, where his friend is simulating having sex I'm going to go out on a limb and say yes. I don't know. I did not watch the the uh, edited cut of this movie because I was not buying a second version of this movie to watch. <laughs> I was just I was just curious. Yeah, I'll, I I'll let you. Easy movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah let's well, talk about the comic relief of the film. Well, first of all, there are PG rated films that have full frontal nudity. And male and female, and also uh, more than two F words. So the PG rating is sort of meaningless. <laughs> okay, I, I hope you're talking about PG 13. No, PG. How is that a thing? Um, you can have full frontal nudity in a film as long as it's not sexual and uh, not get an R rating. This doesn't happen very often, but. The village people made a movie, and that's my proof. Also, uh, all the president's men came out in this. PG, once upon a time, was the equivalent of the way the ratings were meant were G, meaning anyone can watch this film. It didn't mean squeaky clean. PG was kind of like, these are more grown-up films, but they're not quite, you know, R-rated. R has always been R, and then they got X, which was later you know, changed to either R or NC-17. Not that we haven't but, discussed the issues with the uh, whole MPAA, but there's really a problem when you think that, like, when they think that full frontal nudity is less offensive to a child than, I don't know, the F word multiple times. Like, how the Breakfast Club gets... And our rating as compared I, I, to I, I I get Breakfast Club being R because that, that is a movie for teens or in my or in my case an eleven year old with a uh, uh, talk boy from uh, Home Alone Two who would record the dialogue from that movie onto a cassette tape so he could listen to it later. But John's not a sad human being and wouldn't do that <laughs> now, would he? But um, all the president's men had somewhere between seven to ten uses of the word fuck, maintained a PG rating because the MPAA, the MPAA thought it was a culturally relevant film that everyone needed to see, so it was allowed to keep PG. Mind you, PG, uh, well, I mean, I can name a G-rated film that had profanity in it, uh, you know. A lot of older G-rated films had swearing in it. I mean, they used Goddamn in Planet of the Apes. 
There was, no, that's true. They were almost naked people in Planet of the Apes, and they got the G rating. That just meant general audiences. It was G was kind of like G and PG, sort of, and PG, you know, as we know it now. PG back then, before someone in um, Indiana in an Indiana Jones movie got their heart ripped out on screen. <laughs> meant you know. Everyone can kind of see this, but, you know, maybe parents warn kids, and now we have two ratings, you know, in between G and R. <laughs> I also maintain that we, you were right, that the MPA is fucked up, and we, cut, we could kind of revamp the whole thing, but the reason the MPA exists is because uh, we stopped ignoring the Hays Code, and we were like, no, no, we don't need more government in- interference on this. Let's just, we'll regulate it ourselves. So it was better than the other alternative. True. It's still, it's still not great. So you want to talk about the uh, comic relief in this movie? Translation, the one person of... Well, we had actually two persons of color in this movie. Uh, has a little Helta, but Al Thompson playing Eric. <laughs> yes, which is pretty much the only comic relief in the film. I don't know. There are some great one-liners. Even after we know Jamie's dying, Mandy Moore has the most savage one-liner in this movie. Oh, this is true. Yeah. Actually, she was naturally funny in this movie. It was not forced. Eric, also uh, in that 17 article I read, it was like, why is the one black character, everything he says, like some kind of sexual pun? Well, not only that, he would... They did that stupid handshake every time, and that... That that handshake was annoying. (laughs) I don't know why. What was so offensive about the handshake? I didn't mind it at all. It wasn't offensive, it was just annoying. It was just annoying, and it just reeked of 2000s cheese of, like, look, we're hip and we're cool. Yeah. I well, mean, what when I Troy... liked about it is... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, when Troy and Abed had their little handshake thing that they did on Community, um, that was fine, because it was also quick. This thing went on for a while. There was, like, multiple... It, it, you needed a choreographer just for the hand thing. <laughs> It was not that complicated. And you know what I liked about it? I liked the Our, fact that it gave these characters some history. You know, this is a short film, but for a short film, it did a lot to give it, its characters some backstory. And this was one of the one of the ways the film showed you without telling you that those two have a long history and they're obviously best friends. Okay. It's still annoying. <laughs> <laughs> But if it's not all that complicated, next time you two get together, I want to see. Next time we're all together, I want to see you two recreate the handshake. Oh no, I can't do it. <laughs> it's easy, Sammy. I'll teach it to you. Okay. <laughs> you two are ridiculous. Well, that's why we have us on the show, right? Yeah, that's that's why. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I figured. <laughs> I believe the evolution was someone said, I will do the show if you'll actually do the show. <laughs> and then someone, we were, and then the other person was like, hey, let's just, hey, you want to come be on the show? Hey, you want to come back next week? And eh, you're stuck with us. So that's, that's the evolution of the show. 
This is true. Yeah. No, um, I do think that for being a minor character, he, I think he kind of added some much needed levity to the situation, even though she probably had some of the best one-liners in yeah, the film. I mean... He was still, he's kind of, I don't know, he sort of brought, he relaxed a very tense film. Yeah, that's true. And he went from being the wisecracking sidekick to, hey, your mom called me because she's worried about you. So what's going on, buddy? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what's the, your mom called me because she's worried about you, but she doesn't actually want to come find you. So she said, yeah, (laughs) she didn't even know if you were home. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I said, yeah, his character did get better throughout the movie because when it first started, I was like, I'm going to hate this guy. And you know, throughout it wasn't he was he actually got better. At, I think the only one I still kind of hated was the one that was a complete dick the whole time. Even though he kind of was there for his friend at the end. At the same time, I was like, yeah, but you did a lot of terrible things too. Yeah, and his poor girlfriend had nothing to do in this movie. Even really? though I've seen a movie, I've seen a movie where she was the lead, and I hated every second of it. But at the same time. You know, you, they gave her almost nothing to do in this movie. It was a, I mean, they did a good, I think they did a good job with Landon's character arc in this film. And you could kind of tell, from, I think, from the get-go that he wasn't exactly like the rest of his friends. But yeah. um, they did a really good job with it. And they even attempted to do minor character arcs, um, which in a film this short is... I mean, I appreciate the effort. Yeah, because I think I did spend the first 45 minutes of this movie up to really, you know, the conclusion of the play and just hoping that a shovel would hit him in the face and take him out of the movie. And you kept well, yelling at me about that. Well, um, see, okay, is this, an affl- is this a male kind of affliction? Because I have to say... Okay, this is this is a generalization. This is certainly not all women. But women that enjoy these type of films, I'll find there's like a great deal of them that watch it and they see him in a very different light. And I do think it has something to do with um it's like whatever the female version of a white knight complex is. But I just call I... it the bad boy with the heart of gold. Syndrome. I don't know. I I just I just thought he was a terrible character up until, but and I know that's the way he was written, and I know he was supposed to change, and that was part of the point of the movie. But for those forty five minutes, I hated him. Meanwhile, characters in the choice and the other movie that I'm not allowed to uh, talk about, um, the characters that were alive, with the exception of the uh, crazy cop weren't detestable like uh, you know like i didn't think that uh josh demel was a detestable character that needed to be changed i didn't think um the annoying neighbor needed to be changed whereas this character here needed to be changed and, and it was just i just didn't like the character whenever he was being an asshole yeah, and I mean that's a fair point, and I don't really, I don't really think that you're supposed to. Yeah, um, and, I mean, you know, so, had, 
I was going to say, had this turned into the slasher movie, it, I would have written the order that I wanted the teenagers in this movie to die. But this wasn't a slasher movie. <laughs> Safe Haven was a very different kind of thing. You didn't, you didn't need, you didn't need a flawed protagonist in that film because you you had, you a, had a really good, you had a really good villain. And yeah. in the choice, you they had they had essentially a flawed protagonist. It was he was a little bit different. Um, he was flawed, but, but he was, was still. Same, I get what you're saying. I think the difference yeah. being that he was he was a grown man. Right. right. Landon was coupled with everything that he had been through. He was also a teenager. And yes. And therein that... lies. Right. And, and I in... think it was. A... <laughs> oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and that's the reason why it had, you know, had the kid that had been in the accident died and come back as some sort of undead killer in some sort of ice, you know, I, I know what you did last gazebo slasher film. Yeah, and turn it. Who is breathing hard? I think that was Sammy. <laughs> <laughs> was that on purpose breathing, or were you just? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was laughing, and I was trying to hide it in my pillowcase. Oh, <laughs> uh, it was not. Wor- it made it sound like you were seething in anger. <laughs> so let let me. St- Cut that out and start over. I was, yeah. try- I was trying so hard to stifle my laugh. So, like, had this movie turned into the, you know, slasher film that it clearly started out as, you know, had the kid, you know, in the accident died and some come back in some sort of, you know, undead, I still know what you did last gazebo kind of sl- slasher movie. Uh, God, I kind of forget where I was going with that. I just like getting that joke. And, but, you know, I would, I could, you know, I would want all these kids to die. It's, it's kind of the same as like the Friday the Thirteenth movies, the teenagers, you know, the detestable teenagers. You want them to die, but that's not this movie. And this is a movie about people kind of growing up and being forced to a little bit. I think that's and, kind of what I like about it. They, I think that part of the reason they did they wrote Landon's character like they did is also because of her character um if anybody she was kind of the quintessential girl that would have had right I think but I think even yeah right I think even but it was just more so because of what was going on with her also I'm gonna put forth a new theory Nicholas Sparks hates women because let's see in safe haven one of them was dead the whole time the other one was being stalked by her psychotic uh, uh husband in the choice he nearly kills one of them in a car accident in the notebook everybody dies in this movie mandy moore dies nicholas sparks hates women this is my new theory <laughs> i don't know if it's that he hates women i think he just likes making people suffer in general I like how you took that as a real point, whereas I know in Sammy's uh, studio, she's just got her arms folded and is just seething. <laughs> what I, I think not... he sees the beauty in tragedy. <laughs> okay, well, that's... so okay, so did Dashboard Confessional. <laughs> okay. 
So, so you're telling me had Nicholas Sparks known how to play play guitar, emo would have started like a decade earlier. Is that what you're saying? Probably. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know, he would have gotten in when it was still called emotional hardcore and it was part of the DC scene. But you know, <laughs> never mind. Do we want to start getting into our topics? Sure. Sammy, do you have a creepier romantic force this week? Because that would have been great. I don't know. Does he really do anything creepy? No, I I mean, he doesn't go away a lot, which, you know, I don't know if that's creepy, romantic, or just persistent. Yeah, I don't think I have one for this film. I don't think anything he does actually ends up being creepy. Hmm. All right. So, ready for best line, worst line? <laughs> yep. Sammy, this is your movie. Why don't you go forward? Let me go first. Okay. So, my best line from this film actually happens to be, I think, one of my favorite moments from any romantic film ever. And it's when they are on the pier, they're on the dock during their first date. And... um, she says something, and then he says, I might kiss you, and she says, I might be bad at it. I just think not only was that really, really well written and kind of made for a perfect moment, it was also really well executed. So, and we've talked about this before, but those moments can be really, really cheesy. They can be done really poorly, and it sucks all the life out of the moment, and this was, it was just perfect. Yeah. To... Kind of para- kind of go back to something uh, our patron Saint Aaron Sorkin uh, wrote in Studio 60. There was a moment where um, Sarah Paulson's character was asking Matthew Perry's character about the difference between a dress rehearsal and the way the line was written. And it, it was basically like, in the dress rehearsal, and, uh, you, you kept asking for the laugh instead of asking for the butter. So... <laughs> Well, I I just, it's nice that the delivery was so good, but also I think it was really, they really, he really thought about what that character would say in that moment. And as a girl that you have to consider that might very well have been her first kiss. That is Mm. possibly exactly what she was thinking. Yeah. And I, I think, and also I think in the hands of a lesser actress or just, you know, the wrong act- actress, you know, not necessarily lesser. That line could have, you know, been an absolute clunker. And it could have, it could <laughs> this have, is it true. Could, it could have ended up on our worst line list. But I, I think that's just more of a testament to Mandy Moore and how good she is. Joseph, you got a best line? Uh, best line? I'm trying to think. Because I didn't get to write it down. Because I didn't take notes while we watched it together. <laughs> How dare you not take notes? I, I was I was too busy making notes to kind yeah. of Sammy a little bit. But uh, <laughs> I don't really have a best line. The, I thought the funniest thing was when they bleeped out shit at the very first of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because there's, I guess there's way too many shits in the movie. So they had to get rid of one. I don't really remember us. Are, are you saying that this movie was full of shit? Yeah. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> but, um, uh, 
like I said, I had one, but I completely forgot which one it is. All right. I think it was a zinger that uh, Mandy Moore's character had, but I can't remember off the top of my head. Gotcha. What about you? I was waiting for whoever was making noise to stop. <laughs> All right. So mine, uh, we kind of have already alluded to it, but it was the it was whenever Landon asked Jamie if uh, she was scared, and she says to death, and then there's an uncomfortable pause, and says, and she says, "Lighten up." <laughs> like if, if I ever have some sort of you know disease, you know disease that is you know going to take me out, like you know in this movie, I hope that's me. <laughs> All right, worst line. Sammy, do you actually have one? No, this movie is flawless. (laughs) (laughs) I can assure you it's not. Um, I don't exactly have a worst line so much as some of the lines could have been... Some of the lines could have been tweaked a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like they were going for a punchline, but they sort of missed. Um, really, the the main thing I have um, is what I think could have been a really poor line, but because of how well it was delivered, it sort of saved it. And it was that same moment when they were on the docks, and he tells her he loves her, and she said, I told you not to fall in love with me. And it kind of harkens back to the first time she told him not to fall in love with her. Mm-hmm. And while I liked it, and I, I thought the follow-through was nice and how they sort of tied it up, that could have been really, really bad. That could have been way over the top. Yeah, and weirdly enough, that's one of the lines that I didn't even have an issue with. Right. I and I I think that has a lot to do with the delivery. I think most of the worst lines actually exist inside the play within a play. Possibly. Well, it also but also are those lines bad on purpose because it was written by a high school student. You know? Right. No. I'm going to go with the vast majority of high high school students writing something, their skills are not quite there yet. I, I know that because I wrote three two screenplays in high school and they got burned in a fire. Thank God. <laughs> well, what about you, right. Joseph? Oh, I did remember one I, uh, line I did like. It was when she said, are you trying to seduce me? He said, why, are you seducible? Yeah, that was a good line. <laughs> that was a good one. I thought I forgot I liked that one a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Jamie kind of goes to Landon and says, you're my angel... I thought that was a little too cheesy. I'm I'm going to say this. like I get it. I get where your head's at, and I'm probably there with you yeah. a little bit. At the same time, it's a Nicholas Sparks movie. <laughs> <laughs> that was just like, okay. I, yeah. but it, it was kinda, it's, a, it's like a dairy section. Cheese comes with the territory. It, I, I get that one, but it was just one of those, like, uh, it was kind of a cringy line. Yeah. That, that that was just one of those. I was like, ugh, okay, because I'm all for in movies like this. I'm all for sappy and sentimental, but that was just more of like a uh, that was a little on the nose. What about you, John? Keep it to a maximum of three or four lines. I only have one, even though I could have probably done about three or four. But the one that stood out to me the most, and I called it the moment I heard it, and it comes from Eric. 
hey, it's the quiet ones you got to watch out for. I mean, she might put it on a brother like a Pop-Tart. What does that even mean? What the fuck does that line even mean? It's the early... And he also says... Oh, sorry. I was going to say, he also says he has the, the, the drama teacher has nice hooters, which is the, yeah. I guess the PG way of saying nice tits, madam. <laughs> well, but that, well, that line really is honestly, uh, that's the early 2000s way of, in movies of saying, look, this is how the kids talk nowadays, right? <laughs> no, no one has ever. That was just Nicholas Sparks trying to be relevant. Okay. Okay, so um, very recently I watched a um, thing on Criterion Channel. John Waters was talking about the film Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, which is one of my favorite films. And it is also like, what if Cocaine wrote a movie? Um, And it was written by Roger Ebert. And there are so many lines where he was trying to think what people of that era would say and one of my favorite lines of the, in this movie is you're a groovy boy i'd like to strap you on sometime no one knows what that line even means let alone the man that wrote it but god it sounds fantastic coming out of ashley saying eyes i'm just gonna say that <laughs> we're gonna we are going to do that movie on this show and i'm not sorry sammy <laughs> Because every moment of that movie is gold. (laughs) All right. So things we liked about this movie that we haven't talked about yet. Sammy, you can go on for a little bit. I mean, we can pad that runtime a little bit. (laughs) Really? um, It kind of comes down to just a couple things. Um, I know, shocking. I really like, I liked the use of cliches in this movie. I know critics probably knocked it, but I thought that... Oh, we'll get into the critical (laughs) critics on this movie in a minute. I thought they handled a lot of the typical tropes and cliches that these romantic films are known for um, really, really well. And I also liked how the film handled religion yeah I I, I thought I, as, as I someone think that, that is, oh, oh go, go ahead. ahead I was going to say as someone whose favorite religious film um, is Dogma <laughs> um, I, I really thought that they handled the faith part of this movie very well and the fact that and I'm quoting the director from the commentary it was, and the fact that it was done by a liberal gay Jew <laughs> I mean he knocked it out of the park <laughs> yeah I agree it, it was I mean this could have gone the pure flicks right it, it did a good job of placing the religion within the film without mm. making it the driving force it was obviously a very was, important part of the film but it wasn't. It wasn't. Blatant. It wasn't over the top. It wasn't. It wasn't yeah. saccharine. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the driving force of this movie is faith, but it's really Landon having faith in himself. 
is really the massive point of this movie because you know Peter Coyote could have you know been a fire and brimstone pastor and Mandy Moore could have been out there you know protesting in a park with a you know picture of a dead fetus on there on the weekends that's not the route they chose to go because that is the route that so many movies with overtly Christian characters tend to go you know this is and these are more genuine people and not caricatures and that that was great listen to me paying this movie a compliment right and and like and Nicholas Sparks, I think in general, does a really good job. He, if you pay close attention, he inserts religion, I think, into almost all of his films. But he does it. This, to me, is his most overtly religious film that he has. I yeah. would say by oh, well. far it's his most overtly religious. And it still mm-hmm. handles it really well. Because um, I think the really nice point that this that this film made is... For Landon, just the movie had purpose at the end of it. That is what I liked Mm -hmm. about it. You know, people talk about the ending and typically I wouldn't like an ending where the main love interest dies. But in this sense, it's so earned because everything about their love story saved saved his life. It, It made him a better person. There was a purpose behind them knowing each other and them meeting and then for Mm -hmm. her her knowing him gave the last part of her life purpose also and it sort of I don't know it sort of left you with this cathartic feeling like there was a point to her life even though it ended in tragedy yeah and I think it's hard to get mad at this at the ending of this movie because I think it would have been gross and offensive had suddenly Oh, she's all well, and we can live happily ever after. It's like, no, that's horseshit. <laughs> but you know, admit it. I know you love the happy ending where the couple gets together. But on some level, you got to admit, if suddenly she just beat her leukemia out of nowhere, and they got to live happily ever after, that's a bullshit cop out. It wasn't. It wasn't the point of this movie. Like that right. was not how that was not how this particular movie was supposed to end. The same thing with like the Fault in Our Stars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So. So, all right, Joseph, you got something for this segment? Uh, this is a uh, what I liked about it, of course. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry, I ate. Uh, I, I paused and ate something quick, and I kind of blinked out for a minute. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Where uh, are we on the show that I'm on? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, hunger got the best of me. Uh, I would. I, I kind of echo what Sydney says on this. I I really did like that it was not. The religion was not shoved in your face. It was really much. Not really in the background, but it was not one of those. Just like that's like I said before, it's not. Well, this is who they are. They're Christians. Get it? It's just it's. It was just part of their character, and they could have easily gone the other way. But I did like the relationship mm. between her and uh, Shane West's character, Landon. Even though at first you did want to bash him in the face, 
But I knew that was, but I knew that was going to be his character. It was going to be his character arc. He was going to, love was going to change him in the end. And halfway through the movie, he's going to become a better person and all that. That's, that's kind of the formula for these movies. Yeah. I also think that was the exact pitch Nicholas Sparks gave to the publishing company. (laughs) You're probably right. And and I did really like her father, the character of her father, because at first you're just like, he's going to be the overbearing dad that just rejects everything. But again, you find out why he does what he does, because he he doesn't want her what little bit of life she has left to be wasted on somebody that will not love her back. Right. And and Peter Coyote is just such a great actor. My my personal favorite movie. My personal favorite uh, movie he's in, only because I haven't seen the Almodovar film he did, where he gets to act in Spanish. Uh, but um, he did the, probably the best Deliverance <laughs> ripoff movie. Uh, it was a film. It was a film called Southern Comfort, and it was about the Louisiana National Guard getting lost in the swamp and being attacked by these. Uh, when I say swamp people, I don't mean like creatures in a horror movie way i mean like swamp people from swamp people <laughs> the show and it's like him and keith carradine joseph you would love this movie i think sammy would be fucking bored out of her mind <laughs> so is it my turn to pay this movie a compliment yes it is so i'm kind of gonna bounce off of a little bit of what y'all said um I like the sweetness of the relationship. I did think it was genuine for a, you know, as genuine as a love story between two 17-year-olds can be and not end in, you know, Shakespearean fashion. Um, I think one of my favorite scenes was the date that they went on where they were at the restaurant that was outdoors and they they were dancing and then... (laughs) And they were also the youngest people there by like a good three to four decades. Uh, and, you know, it, it kind of reminded me of the date equivalent of every time I had to go review a uh, Clint Eastwood movie at 10 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> Same thing. Me and a bunch of senior citizens. <laughs> but no, I, like, I, I, I liked a lot of moments in this movie. So, Sammy, you have to have an answer for this one. What's something about this about this movie? Yeah, what is something about this movie that you don't like? Okay, I can tell you what it is. It's not long enough, and I'm dead serious about this. No, 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 no. I'm dead serious about this. Some of the things that that you addressed at the beginning of the at the beginning of the the episode, mm-hmm. questions that weren't answered, a few plot holes. I will agree they exist, and. I think this is a case of a film that could have used a little bit more time to sort of fill it out. Like, they, I, I would have to look at the running time, but I think the choice was a longer movie. I think Safe Haven was a longer film. And I think they benefited in their storytelling because of that. I think, this, I think that this movie could have stood to be a little bit longer. And here's the thing, I, I I can't believe I could actually stand up and go get the discs for all these movies and answer which one was longer. <laughs> I'm not going to, but just know that I could. Joseph, you got anything? 
it's just normal little nitpicky stuff that I have for it because really it was it wasn't a, a bad movie by any means. It just had some of the had some iffy lines that the way that were said and sometimes the comic relief kind of got annoying at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like it's not nothing major. It's just like uh, it, it it gets a little too little too schmaltzy sometimes. But that's other than that, it's not bad. I said I don't have a whole lot that I didn't like about it. It's just a few things here and there. Okay, John. <sighs> Reader's Digest version. Keep it under Boogie Nights rules. <laughs> Boogie Nights rules. So this time I get like ten minutes. Okay. <laughs> so I've kind of been the Debbie Downer on this episode a little bit, haven't I? No. A little bit. A little bit. Kind of acting like I didn't want to watch this movie. Mm-hmm. Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> hmm. So I'm just going to say this. I hated every character that wasn't Jamie for the first 45 minutes of this movie. But I understand that it had to be done this way for the thing called story arc. To get into the things that I don't like about this movie, a lot of it is nitpicking. I could probably nitpick this movie. Like, we sat there for the entire 100-minute runtime of this movie and made fun of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But here's the thing. Sometimes, what, that's just kind of how we are. Like, we could have turned on Godfather 2 and cracked jokes. So, honestly, this is the part where uh, the man behind the curtain gets revealed and be like, I don't really have a lot to bitch about this movie. Well, so, it, it would, oh, go well, to go on that, uh, Sammy, he had never seen Highlander before I showed him Highlander. It's one of my all-time favorite fantasy movies. Me and him watched it, and all we did was uh, talk shit about this movie the whole time. We were relentless. <laughs> Yeah, we were really. Well, hey, I mean, and that does not that does not bother me at all. Remember, I like mm-hmm. Hallmark films. True, but the whole time because I was married at the time, my my wife at the time was like, are, do y'all, "Why are y'all watching this? Y'all don't even like it." It's like, oh, John's like, "Oh no, I love this movie. We just like talking." Yeah, shit. <laughs> within like, within a within a week of that screening, I owned this movie. Yeah, <laughs> that movie. Like, oh, I absolutely love this movie, but we that's what we do. We just talk shit. That's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> so now that I revealed that we didn't have I didn't have a lot to bitch about the question on the table remains Sammy, Joseph, is this movie as good as Highlander? <laughs> uh, I'm going to say not as good as Highlander, but you know, how can you compete with Highlander? You know? Right. Yeah, <laughs> and now had had Queen been around to do the soundtrack to Walk to Remember? Oh fucking epic but joseph (laughs) sammy joseph sammy did you survive a walk to remember why don't you go sammy since we already know the answer for you okay so there is a very (laughs) simple answer to this question and but i'm gonna answer it by um for those of you keeping track which i know is none of you um (laughs) We have my Nicholas Sparks rank. We have we have my Nicholas Sparks rank. 
Nicholas Spark rankings of the films we've done so far. So, um, if I remember correctly, The Choice and Safe Haven, which are the other two films we've watched, battle it out for two and three, depending on my mood. With, I think I remember in the episode, an edge going to The Choice, just because it's generally my pick between the two. This is my number one Nicholas Sparks film. Um, I'm aware that I think that probably of all of his films, no- The Notebook is p- probably the best made. I, I would say it's arguably the best of the films, but this is by far and away my favorite. There's, yeah, there's not even a comparison. I'd respond, but I don't want to give away my answer. Okay. Joseph? Yes, I survived it. I, I was pleasantly surprised by this one. It was one of those I wasn't sure what to expect. It could have gone either way for me, to be honest. Um. And I, I have to say, I think The Notebook is slightly overrated. Uh, I oh, we'll get there. Uh, yeah. Oh, I know we will. I prefer this one over The Notebook. I think this is a much better the movie than The Notebook, actually. So, my turn. <laughs> okay. So, we've done Nicholas Sparks, three Nicholas Sparks movies to date. And I, I think it's... It comes down to this. Obviously, Safe Haven is the bottom of my list because I had a visceral reaction to that movie. <laughs> it it almost and and the reason I had a visceral reaction to that movie is because something happened. I don't want to spoil it for anyone. <clears throat> that undercut what was almost almost a pretty decent film in my opinion like one i could have realistically seen myself revisiting and one moment that i'm not allowed to bring up fucking ruined it (laughs) so the question is is this movie better than the choice And I'm going to say from a filmmaking standpoint, yes. I think this is, and I'm just going to go ahead and agree with Joseph. This is a better made movie than The Notebook, and it is a very much better made movie than The Choice. However, I don't know if I would honestly revisit this one very often outside of, you know, some kind of movie night or, you know, God help if I start dating anyone like a night in watching a movie at home and I lost a coin toss. So, like, I don't see myself ever revisiting this one often on my own. Am I glad I finally saw it? Yeah, I think this is a very strong film and I very much survived it. However, the choice has decisions made that are much better handled than Safe Haven. And there's just that little bit of trashiness to it. Like, it's almost camp that I I could honestly see myself watching that movie alone for fun, possibly while drunk. But as for Walk to Remember, I actually really enjoyed this movie. It's it's just, it's not my kind of movie, and it's not the one. It, it's kind of like you, Sammy, whenever, you know, Bound. You're not going to watch that one on your own. 
Um, but maybe at a movie night. That's that. This is kind of bound for me. Right, and there, you know what? And there's nothing wrong with that. And to that point, um, mm-hmm. while choice kind of pretty much falls second on my list, I think mm-hmm. I would actually. I think I have watched that film more often, and I think I would watch mm-hmm. it more often, despite this being my favorite. It's kind of like having your favorite. Like, how often do you revisit The Godfather? You have oh. to do it a lot, but it's. But sometimes yeah. you want. Sometimes you may have found the fact that you watch Sleepaway Camp more often, right? Just because right. there's almost. And I will this- categ- And I'm going to categorically say that Godfather one, two, and three are. And- Leaps and bounds better films than Sleepaway Camp. <laughs> right. And it's it's the same thing. Um, this is a heavier film to take mm-hmm. in. The choice is light and easy and it's and you know well and for me, at a certain point it gets so fucking ridiculous. I'm laughing my ass off when I shouldn't be. Right. So um there's there's the difference there. Like one day I'm going to own a house and you're going to buy me wind chimes as a joke. Oh my god! <laughs> I see this happening. Assuming you haven't murdered me by by then, which means we did all the sleepaway camp movies. <laughs> but speaking of um, movies that are actually slasher movies, we are uh, heading back into scream territory next week. Uh, with the third installment, cleverly called Scream 3. And this will be uh, Joseph's first Scream film, but um, we're going to hopefully get Karen and Mark and Mindy back on and make our way to Five Cream. (laughs) I haven't made that joke in a while, so I think I'm allowed. Yeah, sure, we'll allow it. Also, Karen's not here here to be horrified this week. <laughs> so <laughs> ne- next week I'm on thin ice. <laughs> so does anyone have anything they want to plug this week? Uh, no, I don't got anything actually. Uh, no, not this week. Yeah. I did, but uh, I'm a bad friend, and I need to text a friend. Uh, what their show was called again, so I can properly plug it next week. <laughs> and also, I promised said friend I was going to send her a list of uh, things for that show, and I haven't done that. So, John, you gotta be a better friend. I know. So, <laughs> friend, if you're listening to this episode, I apologize. <laughs> and also, you probably understand. <laughs> <laughs> So, thank you, listeners, for listening, and tune in now, next week to find out if John was a better friend. It, it probably didn't happen. <sighs> Fine, I'll text Brianna now. <laughs> Actually, next week we're going to find out if uh, my opinion of Screen 3 hasn't changed in a, in a really long time, so... I doubt my opinions changed. <laughs> I could be wrong. Yeah. And also, it'll be uh, Sammy's first time seeing this one. So. Yeah. I'm really curious what, curious what the opinion is. Yeah. But we're not talking Scream 3 this week. So, listeners, thank you for listening, tuning in to us talk about a gazebo-less uh, <laughs> Nicholas Sparks movie. 
Or is gazebos reserved mostly for Hallmark? I don't remember where we were in this joke that we created. <laughs> that was a question for you, Sammy, that I needed oh. an answer to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she has. What was the question? <laughs> oh, are gazebos related more to Nicholas Sparks or Hallmark movies? Yes. Uh, probably Hallmark movies. I can't okay. think of a gazebo in a. Well, I think Choice technically had a gazebo. The, oh, the Choice had a fucking gazebo. Yeah. The... <laughs> and wind chimes. <laughs> this is true. But I can't think of another Nicholas Sparks film with a gazebo. So. Yeah. All right. Well, listeners, thank you for listening to the, this episode. If you like us, uh, go on uh, Apple Podcasts, give us five star rating. Uh, helps us with the algorithms, helps us to get noticed, helps us build the audience. Um, and if uh, if you like this show, uh, I'm going to pull a, I'm going to take from the page of Tyler Mahan Co. and his show, Cocaine and Rhinestones, which is fantastic. Hey, I got a plug in. Um, if you like the show, uh, send it to someone and just be like, listen to these assholes. They think they know what they're talking about. <laughs> um, you two could have laughed at that. God, what do I not pay you people for? Uh, that's a good question. Yeah. Well, if you like us, be sure to follow us on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter. You can follow Sammy, who's killing it over there on the Instagram, TikTok. Um, have you put anything up on YouTube recently? Is it still Promising Young Woman, the most recent? Yes. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Yes, it is. Okay. All right. And uh, if there's something that you want to uh, suggest to us, all right, and if there's something you want to suggest to us, you can reach out by email at survivingchickflicks at g- uh, gmail.com. And until next week, lighten up, listeners. Surviving Chick Flicks is created and hosted by John Baggett and Samantha McDaniel. Our audio engineer and editor is Cody McLean. For an ad-free version of the show, please visit patreon.com slash survivingchickflicks, where $5 a month gets you an ad-free version of the show, as well as our manly movie of the month. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. All opinions are that of the hosts, and no copyright infringements are intended. Surviving Chick Flicks is a Circle of Jug production, all rights reserved. Are you scared? To death.